If you're interested in learning how I launched Zim Excellence, then you're in luck. Sign up for my podcast workshop and learn how it's easier and more affordable than ever to start a podcast. Also, grab yourself a copy of my podcast resource guide, which covers industry terminology, suggested tech setup, in addition to countless free online resources to support your podcast journey. Just head to wongai.com forward slash podcast creation. That's wongai.com forward slash podcast creation. The link will also be down in the show notes. Now, let's start the show. Yeah, welcome to the party. Hello, Makadini Salibonani. My name is Wongai, and you're listening to Zim Excellence, a weekly celebration of Zimbabwe's changemakers and trailblazers. So here's the secret, y'all. Zimbabweans are actually dope AF, and it's just time that we recognize it. So grab yourself a plate of sadza and grab that stony ginger beer and let the party begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Zim Excellence. Today, my guest is a diagnostic radiographer turned CEO and founder of Netsai Beauty. As featured in British Vogue, Netsai Beauty is a brand that believes skincare has the power to change lives by increasing confidence that reflects in everyday life. Their products include their Zero Flaws Antioxidant Mask, which is formulated with activated bamboo, charcoal, and cacao, which leaves the skin feeling soothed and supple. Please welcome Esnath Moyo. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And when you say that, that sounds amazing, like... I don't feel it at all, all the things that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because like today our conversation is about all things skincare, all things self-care, all things self-love and wellness. So Absolutely. I'm going to say here and out, you are worthy, you are enough and you are deserving of this bio. It, believe it. Believe totally. it. Thank you so much for <laughs> reminding me that. Thank you. You're I'm so always welcome. telling other people, but I forget to remind myself of the same. So that's thank you. that's so interesting. I I often say it feels like amnesia, like you forget who you are, and then you have those moments where you're like, oh, I I remember. And so you know, it's up to to us to have each other to remind ourselves now and again. So it is so great to have you on the show. Before we get into you know, the amazing things about your career. I always like to go back in time and talk origin story because you are a Zoom Excellence superhero. I love superhero things. It makes the most sense to my brain. And every superhero has an origin story. You were born in Zimbabwe and now I believe you live in Manchester. Yes? Yes. Yes, I do. I love for you to take us kind of behind the scenes from where you started in Zimbabwe to your journey to the UK. Okay. So I was born in Zim. I was born to two very young parents. Both my parents were 23 when they had me, um, obviously in love, I assume. Um, and we used to live in a place called Mebrain. Funny enough, I have to mention this. Both my parents were Liberation War heroes. Oh, wow. Both of them at the time were, yeah, both of them at the time were, they went to, they were in the army at that time, but then my dad then left to become the managing director of Standard Chartered Bank. So good life, you know, like 
middle class lifestyle good and then halfway down the line my parents decided to get divorced I think I was 12 years old and that just messed my whole life up you know like so I would say from the time that I could remember from when I was born to about 12 my life was perfect from 12 onwards I say I grew up in chaos because Mm. my parents got divorced it really played up with me do you know what I mean like seriously bothered me I didn't know if I was coming or going so I went through a lot of ups and downs during that time like trying to find out who I am and you know you blame yourself a lot when your parents get divorced even though they did try to inform to say to us no it's not your fault and the like I went to high school in Zimbabwe um the the first first year and then I was struggling so much I wouldn't even make friends because I used to think what's the purpose of making friends if we're just going to split up anyway. And I, I'm sure now I understand that it was rooted from my parents getting divorced. So I had attachment issues. Mm. Uh, then I didn't realize. So then I went through a chaotic, chaotic teenage life. Like at one point I even ran away from home, went to the Victoria Falls with my school fees, with my best friend. We're trying to cross over to go to South Africa to start businesses. Can you believe that? Wait, from Victoria Falls? Yes, we went to Victoria Falls. Why on earth we went to Victoria Falls? I don't know. I, I don't think we knew how to get to South Africa. From yeah, then. for the listeners who might not be familiar with geography. So Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe is next to the Zambian border. Well, if you wanted to get to South Africa, you would have to go to the southern part of the country, Bait Bridge. Yes. <laughs> So uh, we get to Victoria Falls, we realize that, no, actually, we have to go the other way to get to South Africa. Uh, we decide we're going to save a bit more for money, like we, we won't, we, we're just going to stay in cheap hotels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we get on a bus, get to Baitbridge, we get to Baitbridge, and you know what, you're always in a place for a reason. There was this woman who was, I think she was a trader, she was buying and selling. She was there, we were about to get on this very shifty car that was going to take us to a place where people were doing like border jumping type thing. This woman screamed her head and said, you're not taking this kids. Said, I am prepared to lose everything around me. I'll call the police on you. If you carry these kids with you, that place you want to take them is no place that kids need to be. They need to go home. So I, we thought, and so everybody started refusing to carry us because this woman had really threatened them. So me and my friends, my friend decided we just, I don't know, something clicked in our heads to say maybe this is the way she spoke to us, the way she told us, she told us what could happen to us. And we realized that this is a bad idea, what we're trying to do. So we decided, oh, let's just go and face our fate at home. Let's return home and face the wrath of our mothers. (laughs) So... That didn't happen. It was cut halfway through and we went. I'm just trying to explain the chaos that I went mm-hmm. through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to, to, to the myself. point that you were trying to leave the country, not even yes. just run away from yes. home and go yes. somewhere else. You were fleeing the country. Like, it wasn't even necessary for me to do that. Uh, fast forward that though. So then I went, I finished my all levels and then straight away my mom said to me, you can't stay here. You're, you're, you're too troubled to stay here. What do you want to do? That's when I came to England. Oh, wow. 
It's so interesting that you say, you know, the divorce happened at 12. I am no therapist yeah. and I don't claim to be one, but yeah. I've been doing a lot of uh, work, uh, internal work to do with the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is formed at age seven. And that's also the same oh. place where the ego is formed. Oh. And it, there's this, I guess, this fact that I live by that we changes people every seven years. So it's at age seven that you're starting to understand how the world works. A yeah. girl's confidence peaks at nine years old. So by oh, the wow. age of nine, as as girls and as women, we're navigating through this world, feeling like we're the second sex or like we're othered yeah. and all of yes. and, and and all of that stuff. And then when we say twelve, this is when we start to have so many hormonal things happening with us that like you have all these feelings to express but yeah. the outside world is telling you that it's wrong to express them but it's also so confusing so it's just so interesting that as a person you would have been going through all of the stuff of school and feelings mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. crushes on boys or whatever or just feeling like stressed out and anxious and you also had your parents divorce happening at the same time, the same time. so it was a lot before you said it, I never realized it. I just thought I was just too naughty. But it makes sense exactly what you're saying. Like, a lot was going on, like, inside yeah. of me and then outside of me. I mean, people yell at me for this, but I like to give people the benefit of the doubt because it's 2021 yeah. and now we're we're finally having more conversations about mental health and also behavior and where behavior stems from yes. I mean from a spiritual perspective we either act from a place of love or from a place of fear and yeah. it sounds like you were definitely acting from a place of fear and you know were there the mental health resources or even like the counseling for you to then go to someone to say oh, yo I'm goodness. going my parents are going through a divorce and this is how it's affecting me that doesn't exist oh. in our culture it's very funny you say that. Do you know what they were worried about? Whether we were having sex while we were away. That was the, their main concern. Like, seriously, I was fortunate enough. I didn't have to be put through what my friend went through. But my friend was actually taken to a hospital to get checked if she had been sexually active. Because they knew up to then we hadn't been. Oh, wow. I mean... Uh, again, like I said, I like to give people the benefit of the, of the doubt. I then also have to place my shoes in to your parents' shoes and yeah. the elder shoes yeah. at the time to say, you know, they were working. They With they were love. working from a place of love, <laughs> you it. know, yeah, yes. and they were doing the best that they could because yes. there are no parenting handbooks, no. and it should be interesting how. Um, how then you as a parent, because you're a mother of three, how you've also been able to oh, <laughs> navigate that. And completely. Yeah, but I feel like we'll dive into that later. <laughs> completely. I knew exactly where they were coming from. Like we went to the person, but I, but I still think they could have been better acknowledgement and they could have been the person because we went for counseling and the person who was counseling us was only worried about one thing that was sex she wasn't worried about our mental health, our state of mind or anything. So I yeah. think it could have been done better, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and then you get to then bring that on to the yes. next generation to say, I'm going to 
do this differently. So hard. You turn into your parents very easily, very easily. Mm-hmm. So you continuously have to be aware that, oh, my goodness, I'm being that parent that I, I say that I never wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You have to be conscious and intentional constantly. So how was life in England for you at that time? Did you encounter culture shock moving from no. Zimbabwe to no. the UK? Okay. At the time, coming to England wasn't that big of a culture shock because the economy in Zimbabwe was relatively well. It was starting to drop a little bit, but it was not as bad. You know, like 1999, it wasn't that bad around 99, 2000. So when I came here, nothing was that much of a shock. Like we had hyper supermarkets like macro and stuff like that. So, and nothing was that much of a shock I honestly think so yes maybe culturally yes Mm -hmm. like there are certain things that I thought oh I can do that now and it's okay I can dress like this and it's okay nobody's going to come and try and take my clothes off me because I'm wearing a short skirt or anything yes you know what I mean yes So that was like those were the culture shocks otherwise everything and food wise I think we are exposed to British food a lot in Zim. So yes. that wasn't much of a culture shock either. Okay, cool. What would you say being Zimbabwean means to you? Being Zimbabwean is being very, to me, I feel like we are very conservative. I do not know if that comes from um, our colonial history Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm proud of it. I wish it could have it, it it would have never happened, but we are where we are. Um but we are very conservative. And uh, there was a point in life where I used to be embarrassed or ashamed about it. But as I've grown older, I know the benefits of it. I know that it makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. I know the importance of having a culture and an identity. So we are conservatives, we are loving, we are soft people. We are not extremely outspoken. We that that doesn't mean we are. We you can walk all over us. No, mm-hmm. we are very strong people, but we are just not loud about it. Yeah. So being Zimbabwean to me is being cultured, is being soft and yet assertive, and it's being loving and kind. I think that embodies a Zimbabwean, a true Zimbabwean spirit. Do you have any favorite memories from growing up or visiting Zimbabwe? Oh my God, loads. The first thing that I know is you were everybody's child growing up. So it didn't matter whether you were in the suburbs or in the high-density suburbs because I had aunts who lived in the high-density suburbs. When we went to visit her, believe me, everyone was keeping an eye on you. So (laughs) the woman behind the door was watching over you. So if you misstepped, be sure she would discipline you and then tell your aunt. <laughs> I feel triggered. I think this is why for the longest time I was hiding from the Zimbabwean community in the US because there, in, in comparison to South Africa and the UK, there aren't as many people in the US. But let's say I'm walking down the street and I hear yeah. someone speaking Shauna, I'm like ducking. Let me run. <laughs> because it's oh, like, let me run I mean, I don't know these people, but these people could know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows yes. someone else. <laughs> yes. And I don't like feeling like I'm being spied on. And they would discipline you right there and then. 
and then it doesn't end there. It still gets to your parents. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and um, that's one of your favorite memories. Oh, great. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite memories. And then we used to go strawberry peaking. We had a place where there were like wild strawberries, just not strawberries, raspberries, we call them. They were just growing. And after school, even though we were not allowed, we would go find them and would spoil our uniforms. But that was the best thing that we ever did. Like, honestly, it was so delicious. What school did you go to in Zimbabwe? Oh, that was primary school, Alfred Bate School. Alfred Bate. Okay. So... Let's talk about Netsai Beauty. But before we get to Netsai Beauty, yeah. you have this interesting story of you quitting your nine to five with no backup plan to start this company. Yes. yes. Well, I say there weren't much cultural differences when I came to England, but that doesn't mean I did not face racism. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So. I feel like initially when I was coming from Zimbabwe, I was very naive. So even if racism hit me in the face, if they hadn't used the N-word, I wouldn't know it was racism because I'd never been exposed to it. But the longer you stay, the longer you are here, and the more you look around, the more you see yourself being denied opportunities and stuff like that, you start realizing, "Uh uh-uh, something's wrong here. You start being awake more. So I think um, that's... As time went on, that's the one thing I saw that was very prevalent in England. And the culture is very much off. Shut up. Don't talk about it because that's what British people do. So you mm-hmm. have a problem. You don't say anything. That's Britishness, right? You you keep quiet. You deal with it. Um, and for, for the longest time, I learned to do that really well. And it got me far. But it only got me so far. If that makes sense, you know. So I had to come to a point where I was now in a career, it's competitive, you want to move on and stuff like that. And then I realized that my people that I had trained were actually getting paid way more than I was. And this This is as a diagnostic radiographer. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So in the NHS, NHS, there's no, everybody is on the same pay scale and you you go up a certain ladder, but if you're in the private sector, pretty much your manager can choose what to give you. So when I got in, my manager gave me a certain amount of money, which I agreed to, and then I thought she would review it. Four years down the line, I'm looking back, and she hasn't reviewed it. I go to her, I ask her, are you going to help me with this? She said, yes, no problem. Because most foreigners or most people who are not of uh, native British, we we tend not we want to be model migrants, right? So we tend not to make a lot of um, noise or rock the boat. So I think she thought that I was just going to keep quiet and not say anything about it. This is four years down the line, mind you. People have come. People have been paid more than I have been offered more money than I was. People who I have trained. Um, also, I, I, I recognize that there was a pattern in how it was being done. Because I talk a lot, so I managed to talk to everyone, black, white, Asian, you name it. So I kind of had my facts. So I went back and said, something's wrong here. Why don't you look this, uh, at this? In, and then she got angry when I asked her to look into it. And then she made sure that I wasn't going to get that pay rise. I fought her. I won the fight, uh, got the pay rise, and then I decided I'm not doing it's it's too much what i had to go through 
um, the, the, the energy it took away from me, the way it drained me. I just thought to myself, what am I teaching my children? Mm. So if they can feed you, they can starve you. And if I have that in my head, I, I, I know I have to do something differently so that they are never able to starve me. And that's how I decided I'm quitting. And then everybody just looked at me as if I was mad. But let's be very clear. Even though I was, it was a very irresponsible move, I had a backup of my husband. Mm-hmm. So before anybody goes around quitting their job, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody else is putting food Disclaimers. on the table. Yes. <laughs> yes. Putting food on the table and making sure that the rent is covered and stuff like that before you just go ahead and quit your job. So that was the whole story behind me leaving the job. It wasn't an easy decision. Like all I knew was nine to five. I cannot say I'm particularly entrepreneurial. So it, it it's still a learning curve and was a learning curve then. Had you been working on Netai Beauty all along while you were in, in the nine to five? And what yes. led you to having this idea to creating a, a beauty brand? Actually, it didn't start with a beauty brand. I had an ultrasound scanning business. Oh. Yes. Because I was in a, a, the company that I was working for was a private company. And it also had an ultrasound scanning side of it even though that was not the big part of it MRI was the big part of it they for whatever reason they tried to make a big um, issue of us having an ultrasound scanning business which made us take a huge hit and have to take a little bit of a step back but we didn't stop we fought it again and we won and we went ahead Uh, we were in a partnership and then partnerships in business. Oh my goodness, that's a whole new episode on, on its own when you when you're teaching business one oh one. Um the partnership didn't work out, but I think the partnership broke down because we went through much stress trying to fight what the company was trying to do to us. So that then broke down, and then I just say to myself, I'm not going to stop doing business, but what can I do so that when things like that this happen? I won't fall apart and want to give up. And then I thought, let me go to my default skincare. I've been doing this since 2013. Oh, wow. And that's how I decided that I was going to start a skincare line. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you have a message you want to share with the world or you think, ooh, it could be fun to have my own talk show like one guy. Getting started is easier than ever. Here at Zim Excellence, we use Buzzsprout, which is hands down the easiest, most affordable, and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Start for free and list your show on directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping and teaching you to succeed. Just check out their YouTube videos. They are filled with tons of information. So join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Sign up today using the link in the show notes or go to wongai.com forward slash podcast creation and you'll get a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. It also helps support the show. So go ahead, sign up for Buzzsprout and keep me posted on your new podcast. Now back to the show. 
Nice. So when you say you've been doing skincare since 2013, how did that come about? And what made you fall in love with skincare and all things beauty? You know, everyone was into makeup, right? Like at that time, like it was way earlier than 2013, but I really started getting a little bit serious with it on social media in 2013. And I started receiving free free goodies from PR and stuff like that. Um, everybody was doing makeup. I wasn't very good in doing my own makeup to start with. Then I, I mean, was, I, was in, I was in the hair world. So makeup was wait. always like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for, How for was a bit, it? Um, it was a it was okay, but then it got to a degree where I just start seeing all these hair bloggers were just making videos just to sell products rather yeah. than saying, "Oh, this product might be right for you if you know X Y Z." It was like yeah. this product is right for everyone, and if it doesn't work for you, it's because you're using it incorrectly. Yes. If you have this type of hair, do a yeah. braid out. If you have this type of hair, you can use yeah. it for a coat for a. Um, a wash and go if you have this yeah. and I was like that makes no sense and a lot of these companies were greenwashing their products absolutely so, yeah so you had brands that traditionally were famous for selling relaxers were now selling natural hair products yes. and then I'm looking at the ingredients and it's still toxic chemicals I was like I don't want any part of this <laughs> joke it's such a joke I hear you a hundred percent. That's exactly the way it was. And I was into green skin for whatever reason. And I've no particular reason. I've always gravitated to natural mm-hmm. projects. Like the, I was into the green movement way before it became a thing. Like, and we were a small community and we supported each other a lot. But what I realized while I was doing it, there was nobody who looked like me who was in that space at all. And then the prices, I swear to God, they said exclusivity, but to me, they were more of to exclude. Yes, yes. Does that, does that make sense? So I, I, I was just looking around thinking something's not right here. I love everything that they're doing. I love everything they're standing for. I love their products and everything. But I, a lot of people who look like me cannot afford to buy this because the way everything is set up. Like for an instance, I am in work, I'm working with the same person, that person is getting paid 10,000 more than me. Of course they have more disposable income to go and buy that expensive skincare that they really love that happens to be green, right? Uh, Or plant-based. Whereas I am 10,000 short, I have to think about my home. Did you see where the disadvantages start? Exactly. And it's interesting you bring that up because historically, so while, so these companies that were marketing relaxers towards us and also, I guess, quote unquote, black products. and, And by that, I mean, you would see a black person on the cover or on the box or on the bottle. They were owned by white companies. And so then you start realizing that. And beauty products marketed towards women Mm -hmm. were concocted and designed by men. And so it becomes so it's important to then, you know, as you said, you you didn't see people like you in this space, Hmm. a black woman who is creating skincare Mm -hmm. for women. And, you know, people who are also black, well, not just women, but whoever wants to use the skincare, but usually and traditionally it's marketed towards women. That's it. And then I also realized a pattern and a trend. We tend to buy skincare that's made by anyone. Yes. Other people tend not to buy skincare that's made by us. 
Exactly. It's it's interesting you say that. So as yeah. we're talking, it's the eighth of September, twenty twenty one, and yeah. my episode with Sharon Marongere, uh, she's the CEO and founder of Maui Hair Care. We had a oh, I listened to it. I this. listened to that one. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's well, such an issue because we're so quick to say, oh, I, I I'm gonna buy these. I'm I want to support local. I'm or I'm gonna buy these yes. products, yes. and then somehow black owned or african owned translates mm-hmm. to cheap or That's like it. not well That's made it. and so then people yes. complain and say well why would i buy this it's 30 dollars and it's exactly like, exactly well you're paying 50 for this product and so sometimes they're not even putting the same amount of quality of ingredients as this one here that you're refusing to buy exactly exactly and marketing <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This is why we need more black people marketing Definitely. and advertising. I mean, I, I hate advertising. That's its own episode for yeah. another day. But yeah. we need black people in advertising for these reasons. But what we don't realize is we're selling all the time. All the time we're selling. Like everything that we do, every time you go for an interview or for mm-hmm. a casting, anything, you're selling yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And Every time that you talk about a product that's not Black-owned, this is not to say you shouldn't support non-Black-owned businesses. I always say support businesses that support your communities. Yes, 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 so, yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? So it's not necessarily about Black-owned, but if they support your communities, and when, by that I mean, are they employing in positions of power, meaningful positions? I'm not just talking the low-level positions. No, are they making sure that you're represented in every aspect of the business. And then if yours, if your community spends a lot in that business, how are they then giving back to that community that is supporting their business? You know, and this is what I, the message I keep trying to send out, like. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with everything you're saying. So as you said, you were in the skincare and beauty space and you would get freebies from PR. You noticed there wasn't anyone like you. Was Besides that, was there an aha moment that you're like, oh, skincare line I will create. I'm talking like Yoda. <laughs> like, but skin, oh, Let me create a skincare line. And yes, what's was- the name for it? Like all of that stuff. I don't know if you've heard about Mint D Beauty Box. I was speaking to the founder, Sherelle, at one point, and I was in Scotland. I was working over there. Um, and then um, she said to me, do you know what? If we go ahead, and she, she, she has a London accent, so she was really speaking in that London accent. Like, if we go ahead and, and the skincare, people will catch up on skincare. But if you're already in it, people will trust you. Because you're already doing skincare. So instead of trying to do the trend and go with makeup because everybody's doing makeup right now, stick with skincare because people are eventually going to catch up. And she said it way back then mm-hmm. when her, her brand was just, now it's massive in England, like she's, she's everywhere. Um, and she started saying like, um, do that, let's stick with skincare. And at the time I didn't see, I knew what she was saying, but we were not getting the views, we're not getting the likes, we're not getting the same momentum that makeup was. So I knew what she was saying, but I wasn't too sure. But that was an aha moment for me because what she said stuck with me. And I I, I, I was doing skincare through and through, even though the people around me were more into makeup and, and fashion. 
My friends, I hope you enjoyed part one. But before you go ahead and click play on part two, please, please, please go ahead, click that subscribe button, rate, review. And once you're done, meet me back for part two.